It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com City of Chronicles is a Bay Chronicles production. Welcome to another episode of the Steady Out Chronicles with me, Mina Rizuki, and of course, Nikki Bandini. Thank you so much for tuning in. And I know there hasn't been any Steady Out action this weekend, but Italy did play and we so care about the European champions. Unfortunately, they didn't do so well in the Nations League and we'll get into that. But first, let me bring in Nikki Bandini, who apparently your hands are still wet from painting this weekend with your new flange. <laughs> Is that true? Yes. I can't remember who it was. There, were, there was a listener who um, I think misguidedly personally said they would listen to a whole podcast of me talking about um, my flat move. I have Let's to tell you, it. it would have been a very angry podcast for a lot of the last <laughs> month. This weekend was not angry, but I, I did. It's It's been manic. Like it's been particularly frantic. I had to um, do a lot of things at short notice and um, have been in this weekend painting walls. I have still got paint on my hands because um, we were using just for like the sideboards, we were using an oil-based paint and it turns out I haven't got any um, varnish remover in the house. So yes, I've got paint on my hands that I can't wash off. Um, it's been that sort of weekend. <laughs> Let's learn a little bit more because I would like to know what this all involves before I go through it, you know? Well, painting walls. <laughs> <laughs> Moving into your new place. But other than that, there's also been that fantastic Francesco Totti interview that we're going to talk about later. I bet he never has to paint his own walls. <laughs> Did, yeah, I bet you. Um, well, you never know actually with Totti. He's quite like, you know. You don't know. You don't know. He's quite a simple guy, actually. It's one of the lovely things about him. Meanwhile, I feel like it's a busy week. Um, I have my Netflix documentary out. I hope you guys had watched it. We'll talk about that next week. This week, we'll focus a little bit more on your interview with Francesco Tosci. But before all of these things, let's get to the Nations League. Nicholas, be honest, did you cry a little bit when we lost a spin? <laughs> no, I, I I really didn't cry actually. Um I I was I was quite um fatally losing and losing a game, which I didn't want them to win. And I think all of Italy wanted to win. Of course, it's on home soil, it was a chance for a celebration after the Euros. Uh, carry on that good vibe. I I was quite okay with it in the end. I mean, if your run is going to end, if you're 
30, uh, eight, uh, 38th game is going to where you finally uh, drop, having already set the new world record for the longest run in men's international football without a loss. Um, of all the games that I, I can sort of handle you losing, it's a game against a really good Spain team that is clearly going places under Luis Enrique that probably was the one team at the Euros that honestly outplayed Italy, I think, at the Euros and, and could you know could have deserved maybe to, to beat Italy at the Euros. Why not? If you're going to lose one of the two, lose this one, be the European champion. I, I, I loved the front page of Gazette de la Sport, which was simultaneously like, I think, striking the right note of being like, this is the truth, but also felt really petty, which just said, we're the real champions. <laughs> I thought it was wonderful. We're still the real champions. <laughs> well, I mean... It, do, it doesn't really matter, really, right? It's the nation's league. I know it's it's important, but that I think wasn't it matters. The... I think it matters, but it's just not. It's not the Euros, is it, Mina? Well, this is the thing. I think it matters more that we that Italy defeated Spain on penalties when it mattered and there was a trophy on the line. Although, you know, I, that's another thing. What did you think of Spain against France? Did you think they were the same team as they were against Italy? So, uh, full disclosure, I, I watched all ninety minutes worth of the games, but the um, the the Sp- at the Spain France final, given that I had walls to paint, I did not manage to watch properly. So, I did not see all of that game. I I, I know, um, I know what happened. I've I've watched the goals. I thought that the um, offside decision was interesting, shall we say? I think that was uh, yeah. I'm, I'm very surprised that wasn't um, ruled out. But I, I I can't speak to the full ninety minutes of that game. I I had uh, too much life going on to to give anyone other than the Italy game Italians my, my first match <laughs> this weekend. Exactly. Okay, so there's obviously a few themes that have popped out from Italy's performances um, mm. these in these last two games against Spain and against obviously Belgium. I don't know how I feel about Spain. I do think they have what it takes to beat Italy. I'm not entirely sure that they have what it takes to beat anyone else. Obviously, they did lose to France. I'm a little bit upset that Fabian Ruiz and Brahim Diaz weren't called up. I even think if you're going to go for Eric Garcia, it's a little bit strange that you're not going for Nacho. I don't know if there's an anti-Real Madrid sentiment there at all, or I'm just like, you know, making this all controversial when I don't mean to. I'm just, why is Brahim Diaz not playing, you know? I get Gabby is 17 and there are so many, you know, different, different wonderful players that they have there, but perhaps go for the guy who's doing wonders at Milan. I don't understand it. And, and Fabian Ruiz is doing wonders at Napoli, but I'm, this isn't a Spanish football podcast. Uh, let's talk about Italy. <laughs> I, I think that's a really interesting conversation that you touched on there, though, Mina, because I think that there's um, always true in football and perhaps it's accentuated international football. There are different styles, different ways of playing that that intersect differently, right? And I, it does feel like, because this will bring us back to Italy, and I, I'd be interested to get what you think about this. Like, I, I I really felt like if there was one discouraging note that I find like genuinely a bit like, hmm, about these last two games, there's lots of things to say about this Italy, um, I think, but the Italy-Spain game, if there's one discouraging note is, I'm not certain that even after two goes around, Mancini has worked out how to play Luis Enrique Spain. In in a semi-final of the Euros, I felt like Enrique got the better of him. Yes. And then in in the sort of pre-game press conferences for this one, he said, okay, you know, we won that game, but we we need to play better. We want to dominate the ball. We need to be faster. And I saw some changes, like some differences, but still ultimately the end result, which was Spain having all the ball. Well, this is my question is, does he actually know how to neutralize what Spain do very well and and sort of play a style of play that will counteract that? Or is he trying Mm. to take on Spain at what they do really well? And that's the issue that I have with it. You know, like if we are going to try to take Italy on, sorry, Spain on in a possession based game and in terms of technique, they are more advanced in the way that they do what it is that they do. And Italy needs to be able to count on different things, which draws me back to my the midfield issues. Um, I know that Verratti is a wonderful player, but perhaps don't play him when he's at, not at the top of his game. And I do think there needs to be... I like Locatelli. Um, and this has nothing to do with, you know, that this, this is a player who... 
I have always had issues when it comes to Verratti playing in midfield. We've discussed this so many times in the predecessor of this podcast, you know. But I do think that there's a need for a more dynamic midfield at times, especially when playing against teams like Spain. I think that is what the difference is. And sometimes what you see with Verratti, for example, is a beautiful pass that will unleash the forward line, you know, open space. But what he does is then almost admire his pass. And what I would really like is somebody like Locatelli who delivers the pass, maybe not as beautiful, but then gets into the right space to then receive or do something. And he continues, continuously plays. Um, he's a more physically robust type of player. And with Jorginho and Verratti, I just feel like everything is a little bit stodgy and slow. I think this is this was a, a team that wasn't playing to the highest of levels. But again, I don't know how to judge this game accurately because obviously Bonucci was sent off. And it's yeah. very, very difficult to take on a team, especially like Spain when you're down to 10 men and without like your captain at the back, you know. So I don't want to go too far into this because maybe he would have figured it out. But I just wanted to see, like, if you were creating a midfield, what would you do? Yeah, well, just to pick up quickly on the, last, on the, on the other thing you said there about Bonucci. Like, look, comparing contrast to the Euros, the Euros, it was Chiellini and Bonucci. Here it was Bonucci Bastoni. Bonucci goes off and the decision to not send Chiellini on right away, I completely understand because it's like three minutes to halftime. You have a limited yeah. number of substitution slots. So you're trying to just get to halftime, then make the change so you don't lose one of your substitutions in the second half. But it does mean that for those three minutes when Italy end up conceding a second goal, you've got Bastoni at centre-back and then Di Lorenzo having to slot in. You've got an attack having to come back and play up the other fullback. There was a moment of vulnerability and Spain hit it for the second goal, which was particularly unfortunate because actually in the second half, Italy did kind of play better. And who knows how it would have gone if it was 1-0 instead of 2-0. But in terms of the midfield, I so I'm not suggesting that Mancini, in his tactical way, is is following Gasperini specifically. But I feel like in Italian football we are living in the Gasperini era. Um, I think Gasperini's Atalanta set a tone which Serie A as a whole is following at the moment, and there's this idea of trying to play this football that is very much based on winning the one-on-ones. Like you win the man-to-man all over the pitch and you win the game. And it's a bit edge of your seat. And we embrace that at the Euros. We loved it, um, actually. But I think that Spain, their whole identity is this fluid, moving shape that is designed to exploit teams that are all about coming after you man-for-man. Because if you want to play the man-for-man, they'll just outmaneuver you because that because they're moving together. And I, I felt like there was such an aggressive high press from Italy um in that midfield. There was I don't even know if it's about personnel for me. I just think it's about how you're trying to play that midfield. I think if all you're going to do is just trying to be the aggressor against a midfield playing that way and and rely on on individuals to win the one-on-ones, that I don't know, I, I just I don't think it works. Um I understand what you're saying about Locatelli. He's a very different kind of player and and I'm I'm excited to see if he is going to evolve into this play at Juventus because that's clearly what Allegri needs him to be. But I, I think for me, it's still the idea that doesn't work. I think if if you're going to have that system in lots of games, maybe it's going to work. But I think against Spain specifically, they're just they're 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 designed perfectly to deal with a team that wants to fight one-on-one battles because they won't let you fight one-on-one battles when they've got the ball. They'll control the possession away from from where you um, are attacking them. Okay, so then what about the the substitutions that Allegri made afterwards, you know, bringing on Pellegrini, Locatelli, Chiellini, Calabria, obviously the best fullback in the world. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Now he's become the world's best fullback. I really am pushing it. Um, But... Do you not think, and you mentioned yourself that Italy got a lot better in the second half in, in, in certain mm. moments for sure. Well, because they went to the back three. But, okay, so then so then it is about, okay, so why do you think that is then? It is because the back three, you think? I think so, because again, we're just coming back to what I was saying about like, if you're trying to win um, with this sort of high press and confronting Spain with one-on-one fights all over the pitch, you can't really sit with that back three. So do you think he learned his lesson is the point? Well, I don't know if he learned the lesson or if he just had 10 men and, and needed a different approach. Um, but um, 
I, I think that would be a good lesson to learn. <laughs> I think when you think about it, that's actually um, what happens with going cyclically when Italy were able to um, beat Spain bef- before and 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 under um, uh, Antonio Conte was coming with the back three and being like, yeah, this is this is what we've got. And um, I think Xavi at the time talked about why that's such a hard formation for Spain playing the possession football to, to, to deal with. Um, I, I think sometimes you just sort of take away the opportunity for Spain to uh, do what they did so effectively on the two goals, get in behind you. Because Conte let them have the ball. Conte just said, you can have the ball, you're not going past us. Whereas if you're going to try and assault them and, and press them and attack them up the pitch, playing one-on-one battles, you're going to leave space in behind, which is what happened on both the goals. This worries me a little bit because sometimes I do think that there are moments where I wonder if he is, Luis Endic is a very good tactician, you know, and he is capable mm. of exploiting both the possession game and playing in the counter-attack if he wants to. We saw in his Barcelona side, he rates fitness levels highly. He is very clever in how he changes and adapts a game. And sometimes I wonder whether Mancini takes a little bit longer to figure out what the right thing is for him to do. Another theme that popped up, for example, is the forwards. I mean, Italy aren't playing without really any forwards, you know, um, mm. except Keza, who's like just monstrous in everything that he does yeah. going forward. And he is so hungry. There were lots of um, question marks related in the press about whether or not sometimes he can be a little bit selfish. Um, others who praise the fact that he is so gung-ho and so delightfully ambitious in order to get a goal that sometimes it doesn't matter if he's selfish because we do just need a guy who's just out there trying to 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 run quickly and trying to score the goals for me I would much like it I would much prefer it if he can elevate the level of play in the final third the way that sort of Berardi does he's obviously a very different type of player Chiesa and he is so essential to everything that both Juventus and Italy want to do and he is really him Barella for example they're just a, a joy to watch for the team now, Allegri is going to try to make him a centre forward, right? I mean, this mm. is kind of what it is, you know. But if Immobile and Belotti are getting on and they're not really the answers to this, you know, to this, I don't know, equation that we have in Italy, then then what is, is it a Chiesa or is it that we need to start looking sort of elsewhere, like, you know, the youngsters? Because I don't know, Raspadori, Mancini really believes in Wazeken. Or Keen um, hasn't been really shining light of the Italian national team. If we want to look at Serie B, there's obviously Lorenzo Luca that everyone's been talking about, Samuele Mulattier, like who's owned by Inter, Crotone. Um, there's Roberto Piccoli at Atalanta. Are we going to go there? Or do you think that it needs to be like more of a false nine situation and we try to be City? Well, I mean, first to say what you did against Spain, interesting choice. I thought going Bernadeschi to, to start off with at the centre forward. I I understand what he was trying to do because the game was all about that high press. And you're saying it's not really a centre forward. He's just the person who's going to lead the press and, and be on the bottom of the, yes. uh, uh, you know, be, be sort of uh, nipping at the, the defence's heels. I don't think anyone thinks that Bernadeschi is, is the answer at centre forward. No, <laughs> God, no. <laughs> you know, I, I, I think I would have loved to see again a completely different shape for this game and see even maybe some some uh, leaves taken from Allegri's book and, and that sort of four. If you're going to go with the back four, then something more like the 4-4-1-1 four, four, one, one that Juventus um, played against Chelsea where you've got Chiesa playing ahead of Bernadeschi. I think that that works more for me as as a shape. There isn't an answer at centre forward that, that's easy. Um, I, I want to see more of Raspadori for sure, but I don't think he's anything like the finished article. And I think that expecting him to be is asking a lot. Moise Keen, Moise, I don't even know how to say his name anymore. This is the problem. He was clearly it was the Moise Ken when he's in Italy. They went to England, it was Moise Keen. I know, it's become really difficult. I'm going to stick with Moise Ken because that's what my head wants to say. But Moise Ken, it's been a couple of years now since since I, I saw things from him that made me excited about him. And I'm not saying he can't do it again, but it hasn't happened lately for him. To me, the attack has to be built around Keza because he's your greatest talent by a mile. But uh, I don't know the exact shape of it yet. I think Immobile and Bilotti still have a part to play and they offer things that don't always get valued. I think even at the Euros, Immobile did a lot of selfless work, actually. A lot. did a lot of selfless work early in the tournament that didn't get appreciated. 
But I, I don't think he's ever going to be everything that we want him to be in international football. It is an area of concern because Italy had a couple of games where they couldn't score, basically. And they obviously got one goal against Bulgaria in, in uh, World Cup qualifying. And from here, we move on to the next game Italy will play is, is a far more important one, ultimately, because it's, it's the game against Switzerland in, in World Cup qualifying and they need to win it. Um, well, maybe not. They probably can draw it if they go and win away to Northern Ireland, but they, they definitely need a result. And a win is, is what you want them to get at home. So there's, there's questions there. I think the one other thing I sort of wanted to say off this game specifically was just that, you know, there's always a bit of magic in a tournament team. A, a team that wins a World Cup or a bit of Euros, there's always a bit of magic. And I think Italy clearly, when they were together for the Euros, had such good vibes going through the squad that it was just such a downer to come back to San Siro and have Gigi Donnarumma get booed by the Milan fans. I get it. Club football is so prominent in fans' uh, minds and how they experience football and club football is our bread and butter. But just what a, what a shame. And I think that, I don't know, to me that is is part of the story of Italy losing as well in this game is coming back home for a game that should have been all about being on home soil and feeling great. And right away, you've got one of your own players being booed by by the home sport. Yeah, I mean, and this is the thing, like, as in you can have your AC Milan sentiments, you can be angry at Donnarumma, you can call him Donnarumma, all you like, yeah, when it is Milan facing his team or whatever it is. But I do, I do agree with what Roberto Mancini said, in which he said, you know, Italy should be above all else. And it's a time for celebration. Like Donnarumma was a huge role, played a huge role in Italy succeeding and won the award. Literally the player of the tournament. He got an award. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He got the play. He saved the penalty. Like, you know, it's, it's, and you could see how nervous he was against Spain. You could see like the Marcus Alonso when he drops it and Bonucci like rescues him at the final minute. I don't even think Bonucci knew what he was doing at that point, you know. But you could see that this wasn't a Donnarumma classic performance. You could see that he was affected by this. And he isn't mentioning yeah. it. He's not talking about it on Instagram or all this time. Always trying to sort of rise above. But I, I'm a little bewildered by, by this. And I don't know. But Milan are a big team. And so fans are, are used to this. I mean, you know, like just imagine if van basten decided that he wanted to stay with his childhood club you know then then we wouldn't have seen the great milan so it, it's a little bit like i think you should understand that the guy has different things and maybe just leave these things to different situations i'm like i'm not sure i'm not shocked by it like i i, I kind of expected it because italian um, football sport is like this like I, it's not new to me that that club fans have this mentality and i i'm not telling anyone they can't be like that everyone is their own person and can act how they want to it was just I found it as an Italian I found it sad yeah and and it, it, there was a this wonderful article about whether or not this is what Italian you know and also there was the booing of the anthem you know Italians love to talk about how other other sort of teams or other countries aren't there was a lot of throwback at the time to the way that England was handling the final you know very unsportsmanlike not you know how we expect it to be but then don't do these kinds of things when you are the champions. You should be happy where you are, you know? And and mm. and it is this kind of like, maybe not raise the level of tribalism. Maybe let's teach people to be, a, I mean, it's going to be impossible to do. But I also want to mention something that I, I read in, in um, Corriere dello Sport that I just, I mean, it's something that for me, just, I, I lost my mind, yeah. Those who booed at Donnarumma are the only ones who deserve the defeat. They are not fans and they are not a few. Their ape-like shouts match the insults received by Koulibaly in Florence and say a lot about the virus that infects Italian football. This was, this was also uh, clipped for Football Italia. Um, are they joking? They are comparing the boos for Donnarumma to what Koulibaly and the racism that he received in Florence. Is this, I mean, I'm sorry, I'm going to have to call it out because what, what, are you being serious? There's a man who chose to go to PSG for his ambitions and he is booing, booed because he's being called Dollaruma. And another that has been racially abused by fans. Like, how is this exactly the same? Is this just, is this what we're doing? Is this what we're reading nowadays that people don't understand there's a huge difference? And when we talk about the need for education, is this helping? 
I have to admit, I hadn't, I hadn't seen that. I'm speechless. Um, they're obviously such different things. It's a, a, a ridiculous and an offensive thing to say, honestly. I have no words. I don't know who the writer is. So I, I don't want to sort of uh, speak more until I've read it myself. But that's, yeah, that sounds like a one of the worst takes I've ever heard. I don't want to dwell on this too much, but I also just wanted to mention, yeah, that I wondered, here's the thing that I have, you know, about Jorginho and Verratti. And obviously these are the players who, you know, won a trophy with Euro, for, for, you know, with, for Italy in the Euros. They are amazing, iconic football players. But I'm just wondering, as in my whole thing is that, you know, we know that the way that's being played, and I really do think a more direct level of football, something that we could take a little bit from Allegri at times, something that we could take a little bit more from maybe Zinedine Zidane's Real Madrid, yeah, is a, a different type of football to neutralize them. Can you just imagine if we had Sandro Tonali just trying to steal the ball off of them the way that he did for Atalanta, <laughs> you know, against Freuler, for example, you know? That was the great sadness of this Italy they left him with the under-21s this round. Yes. They didn't have to, but they left him with the under-21s. He was ready for this. He was ready for this, for sure. This is what I mean. And I just wondered, like, you know, like, just how much of a difference we would have had if we have, like, sort of... Obviously, it would have been different had there been Spinazzola's Calabria on the on the wings for me, yeah. Just playing a more... Because I do think Di Lorenzo is is always targeted and, and heavily targeted. And I'm sorry, but Sarabia has had a terrible start to the season in Spain. So for him to be able to just move around so freely, I feel like there was so much pressure on that midfield. I would love something a little bit more dynamic. I do want to see more and more of the youngsters coming in. We saw, we sit there and be like, oh, it's so wonderful that Gabby at 17 is being given a chance. I do want Sandro Tonali to be like taken. And I understand that they have important games in the under 21 and Mancini is trying to do them a favor, but like mm. it's time to test this player because the World Cup is coming up. And I want to see him there. I want to see Locatelli there. I want to see more dynamic midfield that can play direct, that can connect a lot quicker with Keza. And I do think that it was a little bit laborious. And I want to find a different way of dealing with these types of of games because those are the games that hurt Italy. Italy can overcome more dynamic and physically um, imposing teams. And we talk about Belgium, but they were without Lukaku. They were without Eden Hazard. And, you know, Kevin De Bruyne came in and shook the game up. So I want to be able to see what works and what doesn't. And I want to see Zaniolo in this, you know, I know we have issues and there's been stuff said about why he's tactically not being chosen. I don't understand it. I thought it had to do with his attitude at the time, um, but it isn't. So I would like to have seen a little bit more. I get this was the Nations League and there was a trophy on the line, but let's see what happens now. There is a lot of time to be taken, but I'm really dying to see what's going what's gonna to play out against Switzerland. Yeah, no, I, I, I totally agree with you. I, I think Mancini is, it's, um, it's a very... Uh, good kind of problem to have, right? Italy have not had these problems in even the recent past. In the recent past, it was, um, it was almost that sort of Frank Lampard thing of just, oh, can we play Jorginho and Verratti together? But then if we don't, who else is going in there? Now it's like, okay, there's Jorginho and Verratti who've now shown they can play together, but also we've got Locatelli who can, who can put his foot on the ball. We've got, um, uh, Santo Tonali coming through, I totally agree with you, needs, needs to get more chances. We've got one player who I really was pleased to see getting a good amount of uh, of minutes in the Belgium game, Pellegrini, who started off yes. on the left of attack. And I think he belongs in the attack. Yes. Even though he belongs in the attack, I was pleased also that Mancini did, when he started making his substitutions, give him a bit of time in the midfield as well, because it's yes. all learning, right? Like it's all opportunity to see what you've got and and to see how players can interact together. I, I want to see Di Marco as well. Yeah, absolutely. Although, yeah, I think I think a, a, a wing back for sure. I, I don't, I don't like him as as part of a back three, but I like him at wing back. I definitely think the Switzerland game is very high pressure, and therefore I expect to see something quite conventional from Mancini. Mm, mm. But I hope that after that, hopefully Italy have win have won that game, and then can go into the Northern Ireland game with a bit more um, freedom. And then after that. I'd say there's a nice long time to prepare, but that World Cup's going to be upon us before we know it. So yeah, some more changes before that as well. Yeah, you're right. I do think Switzerland is a high pressure game, so I'm not entirely sure. That, <laughs> um, yeah. By the way, can I we just We should mention- say quickly, because we yeah. haven't, I, just, I want to say just quickly, because Belgian game, Italy, obviously 1-2-1. Flipping heck, that, that volley from Barella. He's yeah, so just- I was just about to say that. I, I, I shouldn't have allowed him to speak. <laughs> I'm joking. Yes. 
got in there first. Bastoni jostling with Alderweireld. The Cherby behind him. What a hit! What a goal! Barella for Italy! Now that's how you meet a volley. Clean and true. Right into the bottom corner. A ferocious hit from Barella. Well, that was some strike. It really was. He caught that so sweetly. Hard and low. Threw plenty of bodies as well. Certainly Courtois, no chance. The header away was not a good one at the near post. When it comes in to Barella, you can see Courtois getting nowhere near it. Struck through, hard and low into the bottom corner. Great technique from Barella. You know he's a father of three. Yeah. Did you know he has three kids? I did not know this. Wow. 24 is a father of three, has a dog and a wife and, and like scores remarkable goals. And he's perfect. <laughs> like There are just so many perfect players that I honestly like, I don't know who I like more. I don't want to put like uh, make him more perfect for having three kids at 24. Some people that's the right decision for. No, 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 I don't mean it like that. I I don't have any kids yet. I'm much older. What I mean to say is that like, is that how he just handles so many different things in his life? You know, it's it's amazing that I just feel like if I had three kids in a family, I don't think I could just report on Barella, let alone be Barella. Does that make sense? Yeah. true. I'm amazed by his capacity to do so much, even on the field. I mean, you just feel like a lot of times Inter is so dependent on his up and down, his energy, his covering, his running. And then you look at him for Italy and it's, and you just, you could see that volley, you could see that goal and you think there's so much more to come from him. You know, there is just so yeah. much. Like, can you imagine him when he reaches his peak years of 28, you know, 27, 28? Wow. What, what a player, honestly. What a player. Barella, certainly one of the, the players who's going to be at the centre of Italy's plans for a very long time, but clearly the guy that that everyone, I think, in the world is is focused on right now, Mina, from that Italy group, is Federico Chiesa. Um, instrumental again uh, for, for when Italy did score against Spain. He is, I think, becoming a figurehead for for Italy and, and for Juventus. And inevitably, that means he's also being linked already with a move abroad. There's been some transfer talk, hasn't there, um, with Chiesa uh, potentially and some Premier League clubs. What's what's going on there, Mina? I think firstly, I mean, if you are going to go for an Italian player who's just won a trophy with the national team, then Chiesa is a standout, not because he's better than the rest, but because he is somebody that just never gives up. He has an engine that is ridiculous. Um, he went to the international school and speaks fluent English. Uh, Fiorentina used to regularly post interviews of him chatting about where he likes to play, what he enjoys to do on his spare time, his relationship with his father. They're really interesting if you want to go back into the archives and look at them. But also I think... I have has a great story about his language school. About his language school. Oh, tell us. Keep going, I'll tell you after. Okay. No, no, keep going, I'll tell you after. Um, And I think that, you know, when you have a player who can, you know, speak English so fluently and and really, like, really well, like, it's amazing, and who is obviously making the difference, never gives up, plays for Juventus, understands and and acclimatized to the situation of, you know, raising your level so quickly, um, performed under Pirlo, performed under... um, is performing under Allegri, obviously has always performed for Mancini. He is a player who is a winger, but has been adapted and could be adapted, according to Allegri, to a centre-forward, the son of a a great forward in Enrico Chiesa. Um, Now, there are question marks about, you know, like as an apparently Ronaldo can't live without Chiesa and he's desperate to have him. I don't think that's true. Can you literally <laughs> imagine Ronaldo saying that about any player? Like any player. This is like a thing that came out in a report. Ronaldo can't live without him. There's no player that Ronaldo's ever said that about. I remember that when when, when Ronaldo first arrived um, in 2018, I think pretty much the last time Italy ever lost a match. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was 
Ronaldo can't live without Marcelo, Ronaldo can't live without Benzema, <laughs> you know, and I just thought, oh God, and now we have to buy like half of Madrid to satisfy this guy. And apparently now United might need to buy half of Juve, you know? although there's really no one to pick right now, barring maybe Kesa, you know. So Maybe we'll find out Ronaldo can't live without David Beckham and they've got to go way back. <laughs> this is the one, exactly, you know, it's, it's so, it's ridiculous. And, and Ronaldo really only needs himself, frankly speaking, and a midfield that can actually deliver a ball. But there's also talk of, of Liverpool, who do have a, a ridiculous scouting machine being, and the fans demanding Kayser to come. And and here's the thing that I do I do really enjoy a lot of times about how um, people who cover the English Premier League would be like, well, of course, it's a chance for Kayser to play for the English Premier League. <laughs> like it's his early grail, yeah. you know? Um, and... From what I understand it, you know, he's never been a fan of a particular of a particular Italian team or English team or Spanish team or anything. But my feeling is that he kind of really loves being at Juve and probably wants to stick around for a while. What do you think? I, I think he wants to be there for a bit. I agree with everything you said. I think I've been saying to anyone who'll listen um for a while that that I the kid's special. He's going to be one of the the really sort of um even in a really strong cohort of Italian young players, I think he's the one who stands apart at the moment and is going to be really someone special. I think he could absolutely go to to Liverpool and even as, as competitive as that attack right now is, would, would be a player that, that they would want and would want to make part of things. But I think Chiesa, and I actually, if I'm being honest with you, Mina, I think that that, that language school thing is not insignificant. I think his dad wanted him to grow up with an international mindset. Yeah. And I think he has. And I think that probably before his career is done, he will play in England, if I'm being honest. But I don't think he's in a rush. I think he was ready to go to Juventus. He he kind of dictated the the, the, the the timing of when he went to Juventus last summer because Juventus wanted to leave him at Fiorentina for another year. And he said, no, I'm not waiting. I'm, I'm ready to come now. But I don't think he wants to go in one year from uh, Fiorentina to Juventus, the Premier League. I think he wants to have his experience at Juventus and I think he wants to win things at Juventus. I think that's the next focus that he's got right now. Of course, he's already won cup. He wants to win the league and probably wants to try and, and take them far in the Champions League. And, and I think after that, we'll see. Just before you get on to your little anecdote that I think will really entertain people. Yes. Um, I did speak with Keza at the time, I'm sorry, about Keza at the time, but not uh, only... The last time I think this conversation happened about what his future is and ambitions are when I was speaking to the club was when he first moved to Juventus. Now, my understanding is that he is much like Vlaovic, which I think is a wonderful quality. He is desperate to learn. And he really loved the idea of moving to Juventus and spoke a lot about wanting to understand how to play different roles, how to contribute. The mentality was something he really wanted to to, um, sort of deal with every day. He wanted to be put in pressure situations where he can rise to the occasion and be somebody that always makes the difference. And I think that, and frankly speaking, a lot of times Juventus would give up last season, but you would always see Keza switched on, always desperate to make a difference. And he's still that man for Italy. And And so there is this desire for him. I'm sure that eventually if Real Madrid come calling, if Manchester United come calling, that he may look into these things. But I will tell you that when he came to Juventus, there was a distinct plan in his place. He wants to be one of the best players in the world and not because he has an ambition, like an ego or anything like that. He's just simply a learner and he wants to do the best that he can with the skills that he's got. Um, And this is something that Pioli mentioned a long time ago when he was at Fiorentina and that he went away for Christmas, came back and it came back a completely different human being at Fiorentina. And it was like all of a sudden he had that that thing between his teeth where he was just desperate to really live up to expectations. So I don't know what happened during that month, but we definitely saw a different case after that. And so I know that when Juventus signed him, he sort of said to them at the time that, I want to learn. I want to manage to do well under whoever coach you bring in. There isn't a specific tie to anyone. I'm not obsessed with anyone, but I do want to learn. And the problem of moving right now, which is a lot of people have mentioned about, you know, why sort of the likes of Haaland will choose Borussia Dortmund and maybe not other teams is because players like that want to keep learning. And Juventus is a big club, but is also capable of teaching you things that you want to learn. And I think under Allegri, for example, he will learn a different role, adapt to a different attack and learn different things. And for that reason, I'm saving the knowledge that he'll stick around in Italy for a while. So I don't think there's any move in the, in the in the meantime. And that is something that Paul Pogba has said a lot as well about one of his things about moving to United is that 
you learn so much in Serie A and there is such close tactical information. And I don't think he is ready to lose that just yet. All of that was great. I, I really agree with you about um, uh, what was it of Mark Zimpar is that thing of, of he wants he wants to lead. He wants to be uh, the, the, the the guy. Um, he wants to be the man. And, yeah. and I think that even in this great generation, as I say, of Italian young players, I don't think everyone has that same purpose, that same drive. Um, I, look, um, fascinating, Bear. I've overhyped this anecdote massively now, but it was just an anecdote that made me laugh um, about... I'd, I'd written a piece about Kiesa earlier this year, maybe. Um, must be probably in this year. And and included in that was a reference to the fact that, yes, he was sent to an English language um, teacher from a young age. And I got a message from someone um, who was at the language school, uh, worked at the language school that um, Enrico Chiesa brought Federico to, and he came to the, come to language school and asked for an English teacher and was suggested this person who had written to me said he was you know put forward by the school as this is the person who teach you and then Nico said no I wanted to be a woman so uh, for whatever reason yeah Papa Nico wanted his kid to be taught English by a woman and not a guy and so this poor guy who um, messaged me could have been Federico Chiesa's mentor his friend the person who got to teach him English and instead never actually got to to, to meet him which is a uh, uh, one of those tiny little anecdotes in someone's life, but just made me think, gosh, I felt sorry for him. It's an opportunity. <laughs> yeah, amazing. So so we both think that he's staying in Italy for a while. For now, for now. I, again, honestly, I think I think he'll play in England. I think he'll play in England. Eventually. But not yet. Yeah. Let's see. Okay, Mina, I'm just going to take a quick pause for us here. Um, we've been appreciating the Azzurri. We've been appreciating Federico Chiesa. It's time to appreciate our Chronicles Tifosi, our supporters who have generously uh, uh, supported us with uh, a financial contribution, uh, which is so kind. Uh, no one should ever feel obliged to do that. This is not an obligation for anyone. We want everyone to listen to this podcast. But at the same time, we are a new independent podcast and this all is hugely helpful to us. So thank you so much, everyone who has uh, been able to, to chip something in for us. So uh, I've got a Coming here from Andrew H, who is uh, one of the people who has uh, supported us. Uh, listener from Brooklyn, New York, fell in love with culture while studying in Padova in 2010, which is a seriously beautiful place um, to go and, and study. So that must have been a, a wonderful little interlude, 2010. Naturally becoming an Inter fan. Could have become a Padova <laughs> fan, but an Inter fan. It is 2020. <laughs> it is 2010. Yes, exactly. Yes. The year of the triplet there. Yes. Um, love hearing behind the scenes news and info it can be tough to learn from the states especially given your deteriorating Italian well thank you for coming on with us and we will always be here in English uh, talking about what's going on in um, on the peninsula uh, Michael F as well thank you for the great show Nikki is fantastic I love her insights also love Mina's love for Calabria Mina is right about Calabria <laughs> which convinced me he is the best fullback well we're convinced we're still working on Roberto Mancini. So having supported us, the other thing you can do to support us is to write a handwritten letter to the Italy manager telling him to put Calabria <laughs> in the team. That's the other thing you can do to support us here on the podcast. Can you just imagine if we had Di Marco and Calabria? Oh, God, the Spinazzola as well. Just can't wait for him to be back. And if it makes you any happier, Michael, I actually said he's the best fullback in the world accidentally. I don't mean that. <laughs> um, but um, there's one more that I'd like to read out from Ajit Paul. Um, thank you so much uh, to everyone who's actually written. There's so many. I swear there is a limerick coming. It's just that this week, um, none of these were sent to me in advance. So I couldn't write the poem that I had in mind. You know? Excuses. There was a contract, <laughs> Mina. There was a contract. You didn't send me the comments. A contract. <laughs> So I just, you know, I didn't, I couldn't, never mind. I'm sorry. But um, I swear next week I will find a nice riddle and I will, well, riddle's different. I don't know, like every time it's a poem, is it a limerick? We'll figure it out. A rap, we'll see. But from Ajit Paul, exceedingly, <laughs> yeah, I will. Exceedingly happy to support the return of one of my favorite podcasts. Oh, thanks. Always eager to support strong female voices. More voices like yours are definitely needed in sports media. 
I am subscribed and I look forward to listening all season long and I hope for years to come. Thank you so much. Um, thank you to all of you. So that's Andrew H, Michael F, Ajapal. There's so much more um, that I will save if I am sent these in advance so I can just bring them out <laughs> to you guys next week. But uh, really, thank you for your support. We really appreciate it. Remember, you can make a one-off contribution via steadyhourchronicles.com forward slash supporter. All right. So there weren't any City Hour games to talk about on City Hour Chronicles since our last recording because of the international break. But back this weekend, Mina, and it's, by the way, it's we're coming up now to an absolutely bonkers stretch of the calendar. I mean, the clubs that are in Europe are going to be playing every three days for pretty much the next month, um, maybe even a bit longer. Uh, but I think looking at the standout matches for the eighth round of the Serie A season, Mina, uh, the first one that jumps right off the page to me is Lazio Inter. It is, of course, Simone Inzaghi going back to his old stomping ground Um Lots of interesting um, aspects of this game. Obviously, Inter are uh, chasing Napoli at the top of the table. Lazio have had a slightly rougher start under Maurizio Sarri, but how's it going to go down with Inzaghi back at the Olympic Army? That's, that's, it's got to be the, 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 the main point of interest right off the bat for this game, I think. I wonder whether he's going to overthink this or, you know, I mean, he's going, he's such a Lazio fan, a Lazio man. Um, it's so strange to see him wearing the colours of, of uh, a, another team or like supporting or coaching another team. Um, and actually there was this discussion over the weekend, you know, the festival of football in Italy about the uh, the decision from Beppe Marotta to go for him, to stop his negotiations with Lazio and to choose a man who was the perfect candidate for continuation and he's done a really good job with Inter. A lot of people have said, wait, hold on, have they faced any really big games? And I think they have. And there's a lot of people who are saying, actually, they look tremendous this season. Others who've said, well, you know, if you're making four substitutions, then maybe you didn't start off so well in the, in, in the game against Sassuolo. But this is going to be interesting because Lazio are a side that I absolutely cannot predict. I don't know if they're going to win 6-0 or lose 12-0. You know, this is a, it's bizarre to me that you could lose to Bologna and win against Roma. Um, I don't know what is going on there. Maurizio Sarri is that kind of man, I guess. So as coming from a Juventus supporter who watched him take over my team, I, it is very frustrating to watch. But I feel a lot for Inzaghi. How do you think this is going to go out? Yeah, I, I, I think Inter are just in a better place right now. Yeah. Um, I, I saw the random article uh, in Gazetta. Well, it's not random. It's just an article that came across Gazetta today um, talking about the uh, average starting age of the starting 11s in Serie A, which I hadn't been paying attention to up to now. And Lazio are by some way the oldest. And I was thinking to myself, do you want to be playing Sarri ball with the oldest starting <laughs> 11 in, in Serie A? It's supposed to be a sort of high intensity pressure game. It's not necessarily where you want to be. You know me, Mina. I'm all about the personal dynamics. Sometimes I'm just really, um, really interested to see Inzaghi back there and Chido Immobile. Hopefully, starting the other side. Immobile, of course, has been injured. Did miss the Italy games. Apparently, was at Euro Disney this weekend, where some fan or somebody who ran into him um, was told by Immobile that he will play against Inter. So this is always how these stories go. <laughs> oh, you know. Simone ran into ran into Chido at, at Disneyland. He's, he's definitely playing. Um, but um, you know, Immobile and Inzaghi were were really really close. Not just in sort of a normal manager player relationship. They went on holidays together with their families. They they, they had a like particularly close relationship. And I think I don't know. Just all of the dynamics of that fascinate me. You know, does does Chido know enough about how uh, Simone sets up his defence to, to really get the better of it? Or does Simone know Chido's movements so well that he can tell his defenders how to, to prepare for them? But clearly it's going to be a big dynamic in the game. Can Chido affect Daddy? Who knows? Who knows? But it is, um, it's seven games in 22 days for that, for Inter. Yes. So it is going to be really tough. And obviously we have to think about the South That's American the other thing for South American contingent, yeah. you know, Lautaro Martinez, you know, they had a muscle injury apparently, but he's played and scored. 
was very emotional. What a beautiful player that he has become. Um, was substituted with obviously Angel Correa, who's his club teammate. So are these players going to be able to play? Are they going to be able to start? Are they going to be exhausted? Those two both get back on Friday. Exactly. The game is on Saturday. It's the, that's the really tricky thing with this game. Those two both get back on on, on Saturday, on Friday, sorry. So one day to, to be ready to play. Yeah. And obviously we know that, big. I know that as well, because the South Americans coming back for Juventus as well are all arriving on Friday. So everyone from South America will be arriving then. And then having to play that weekend is going to be a little bit exhausting. So it's, it, it'll be interesting to see who is going to play, who's going to start. Um, but we do know that Jeco is having a fire start to the season and has been ridiculous to watch. So will it be Jeco versus Immobile? I think that's the question, right? Jeco is certainly going to be the, the player who Inter leaning heavily on, I think, either way with Lautaro's travel schedule. Yeah. Also this weekend, Juventus against Roma um, at the Allianz Stadium. How, how confident are you feeling, Mina? It's it's Juventus against against Roma in, at the Allianz Stadium. Of course, Juventus is going to win, right? I don't know. Again, it's Jose. <laughs> it's, it's Jose. It is that. It scares me. It, I mean, it's remarkable how much Roma, Roma scare me now because of the fact that they are trained by Jose Mourinho, you know. But while it's seven games in 22 days for Inter and Milan, it's seven games in 20 games uh, in, t- in 20 days for Juventus, you know. Again, Paolo Dybala apparently will be able to start this match. There's no Alvaro Morata. Um, there's no Rabio because he's got COVID. Roma are in good spirits. Tammy Abraham has been obviously called up. And I don't know if anyone saw, but there's a wonderful clip with Declan Rice calling him Tammy Totti, um, which is just brilliant because he's now saying he's the god of Roma. It's all a joke. It's wonderful. But this is a game that terrifies me because... I, I mean, Roma's defense, weirdly enough, a Mourinho defense that isn't that great, but neither is Juve's. And I wanted to see it because both teams want to sort of uh, defend well and try to do well. Um, but I do think Juve's attack is is a lot better than than Roma's. I mean, obviously, Kays is there, right? He makes all the difference. Um, it's going to be a battle. Mm. I don't know what to pick, but there is this sly part of me that just thinks... Oh, Allegri and Mourinho. I am dying to see who wins that matchup. We talked about this at the start of the season and I was talking about how excited I am for this new season, which has clearly not diminished because I'm just clearly just a, um, an overexcitable puppy when it comes to <laughs> so, yeah. Italian football sometimes. For me, the narrative of this season, the, the, the overarching narrative, okay, Ronaldo's gone, Lukaku's gone. The narrative was the narrative of the managers. Like, this is what we're interested in. We want to see Mourinho and Allegri and Spalletti back in town and then Inzaghi stepping into Inter and, and Sari back after his Chelsea experience. But I wish we had Antonio Conte. <laughs> we were hoping it was going to be Conte as well for a little while. But, you know, even among all those names, who are your heavy hitters? Who are your heaviest hitters? It's Allegri and it's Mourinho. And you want to see them. Yeah. <laughs> you want to see this match. Um, I, I, I'm excited for it. I mean, look, to temper expectations, Mourinho has a bit of a track record of in the biggest games, teaching his team to not play the most expansive and thrilling brand of football. So it might not be end-to-end non-stop action but I think it will be a tense game and it will be a close game and I'm 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 excited for it for sure and you know who else will be excited for it Mina who Francesco Totti because you had the pleasure of obviously interviewing him and chatting to the man himself the Roma icon the Roma legend the Italian legend Francesco Totti Tutto il pubblico è impazzito, 
Una sassata incredibile dal limite dell'area di rigore, imparabile per Buffon. Well, this is my first time talking to Tati, um, and I have spoken to Buffon um, several times, uh, uh, quite a few times. I've been very, very um, fortunate to have a good relationship with, with Buffon. But um, Tati is Tati is um, not someone who gives a lot of interviews. Uh, he, he talks about this. The reason that that I was able to talk to him on this occasion. Um, stems in part from the fact that he's got uh, uh, an English translation of his autobiography out. I would say I'm not, no one is paying me to say this. Like no one is, is um, leveraging me to say this. I've already done the interview. It's a really good football um, autobiography. It's co-authored by Paolo Condo, who's a great writer. Uh, it's been translated well into English. If you want like an interesting player's biography, I mean, of course, Toji is an interesting character because of the career he's had, but it's a good book. It's got some fantastic stories in it. You heard when I think on the last podcast, well, before I mentioned about Luciano Spalletti running naked down corridors. Yeah. There's some things in this book. Okay. So I recommend it, but um, he's not someone who gives a lot of interviews. And so it was a real um, treat to, to get this opportunity to sit with him and chat. I have only one regret with it, which is because of the times we're in, it was a Zoom interview rather than a face-to-face interview. And and I think you you... You lose something in that dynamic. It's obviously a hundred times better than doing it on the phone or something like that. So it's still great that we have this technology, but being in a room with someone is still different. You you understand someone differently when you're physically in their presence, I think. But he's he's such a an interesting character. He's got, I think, undoubtedly some some sadness in him still, even though he won't name it that about how his career came to an end at Roma, about how um, he felt like that last chapter um, didn't go the way he wanted it to. And I think it's such a, to me, it's it's such a contrasting dynamic between he's got absolutely deserved, justified pride in being this bandiera, the guy who stayed at Roma for 25 years and it's a quarter of a century. Can you imagine doing anything for 25 years, Mina? Yeah. Like literally anything. It's a quarter of a century. I mean, this is the, my fear like getting into a marriage for 25 years, let alone like a job for 25 years. Are you kidding? Yeah. And I, I think um, it's just uh, this, this, there's this bit within him, which is, I'm not the first person to have this conversation with him. He, he's obviously talked about Madrid a, a few times recently, but I, I think um, <laughs> I think he has got some. He's got some some some. I don't know if regret is the right word, but some feeling of what if still in him, even if he doesn't like to say it about Madrid and what might have happened if he'd gone there. But he's also got this this really interesting take on on destiny and and like this sort of belief that you know you make choices with your own mind, your own heart, and destiny will take you where you're supposed to go in life. And that's what he uses to, to rationalize all that out. And I just thought it was really interesting that as he explained all that, I was like, hang on a second, because I've spoken with Buffon, Buffon has said almost word for that word, like these things to me. And the two of them, clearly they've been best mates since they were 14 years old, not best mates right away, but they've become really close friends since they were 14 years old playing for Italy. And in some sense, they have a shared way of viewing the world. And I guess that way of viewing the world must work out pretty well because between them, they've won quite a lot. Yeah, they really have. I, I feel like Totti, I mean, obviously I'm a Juventus supporter and everyone thinks that Del Piero, I mean, Del Piero is very much one of the main reasons why I supported them. But I was always somebody who thought Totti was perhaps the better player between the two. If I if I had to, mm-hmm. maybe various you know injuries in 98 for Del Piero sort of robbed him of the chance to really live up to what I think he could have been. With Totti, I always feel like there are things that it, it, it's it's amazing because as as an icon, as somebody you know who sometimes I thought you know watching him, he a little bit like Ronaldo. Sometimes he can be controversial. Sometimes he cannot be always so maybe because he was so beloved. I don't know, you know. But then when I when I read these interviews, um, the one that he had with you, the one that he had um, when he spoke about you know not being able to sort of know what to do with yourself when you leave something. And, you know, we talked a lot about footballers. Mm. Some of them just love that, it, you know, it's a great job and it pays and it's, you know, they have fun doing it. But there's people who just genuinely love the game and love the club. Yeah. And 
And I think that when you read that, it's very difficult because I always sort of joke about Totti, like always needing to mention he wanted was wanted by Real Madrid, all these things. But he is somebody who I can honestly say loved the sport more than I think anyone, you know. And you just yeah. love reading about. You still feel you still think of him as a little boy who's just fascinated by it all, and I and I think that you you captured that pretty well. Thank you, and I and I, I totally agree with you. I think he he is still. But he's, he's a he's a by his own description quite a simple character, and I think his love for football is is so sincere. I think you get that comes out in the book when he talks about when he was playing with Cassano and just how like how much fun he had playing with Cassano, even though um, Cassano's life you know went a different uh, direction. And actually, another area where maybe he has maybe he has some regret that Cassano couldn't keep it together yeah. well enough for those two to become the partnership that they could have become. Look, Francesco Totti, in my opinion, is. Even now, extraordinary as this is to say about someone who's clearly very well thought of in football, I think people who didn't watch him live underestimate quite how good he was. I think in this age of like, of, of I don't know, social media and like everyone bragging about who's won the most trophies, who scored the most goals. If you didn't sit and watch him for 90 minutes, like during a game, you, you won't get it because he doesn't have the most trophies and he doesn't have the most goals, but he was really something else and um the intelligence yeah absolutely and it's just one of the greatest privileges of of um of the job that we do getting to sit and talk to people like that sometimes and, and try to understand what makes them tick i hope the interview did some of that and um honestly even from that interview i have several thousand words of transcript that couldn't make it into that interview because of word count so maybe there'll be even more to come out somewhere down the line we'll see you know what i loved reading andrea pillo's autobiography so now i'm like really I'm like obsessed with now trying to read this one as well. Um, because I laughed so much when I was reading Pierlo's book. I laughed so much, especially when he talks about Gattuso. So I definitely want to see what, because I didn't read Totti's. So this should be really interesting for us. It's out under title Gladiator in English. I just want to say this last anecdote on Totti and the world. Shut up about this. Because I forgot to put this in the interview, but I forgot. I ran out of the words for the interview. Um, it's actually in the book. The book is called Gladiator. And he talks about in the build up to the Scudetto, which he won at Roma, just the one Scudetto, of course, which he, by the way, describes still as to him more meaningful than winning the World Cup with Italy. That's, you know, his, his feeling about wow. it. Wow. He was watching the movie Gladiator, the Russell Crowe <laughs> movie, every night of the week in his basement with friends to the point that he learned it all off by heart. And I just love that image. Like these superstar footballers can still be, you talked about a kid, they can still be the cheesiest, most sentimental kids. Like, oh, this is Rome. Rome is being a gladiator. We're going to go out there and play football. And I love it. I love it. You know, it's it's sweet and and also quite, um, you know, revealing about who he is as a person all at the same time, I think. Definitely read that in The Guardian. Um, I'm sure there'll be a link below as well. So please, if you haven't already, then definitely do it's so. It's pinned on my Twitter. It's pinned on her Twitter. There we go. All right, guys. That is all we've got time for um, on this week's podcast. Seria Chronicles will be back on Friday with another Chronicles Q&A mailbag episode. Um, thanks. We've had loads of questions, by the way, but keep them coming in on Twitter at SeriacronPod with the hashtag Chronicles Q&A. Um, we will get to as many as we can every week, but we really appreciate you guys wanting to ask us questions. It's fun. And that's um, what we want for this show is to be something that we can have a dialogue back and forth with you guys um, who enjoy hearing from us. You can find both of us on Twitter at Nikki Bandini, at Mina Rizuki. Subscribe to the Serie A Chronicles podcast if you're not already. You probably are if you're listening, but if you're not, <laughs> hit that subscribe button. We're available on all the podcast platforms and apps. Tell your friends. Tell your friends. Go out with them. Interrupt them mid-conversation and say, that's not important. Yep. Yep. But if you're not going to take that small step for us, then at least follow Seria Chronicles on social media, at, on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, uh, on all of them. Apparently we even have a Telegram channel yet, which I didn't know about. We do. We have a channel. Soon an alliance with Jeff Bezos as we take over the world. I'm joking. <laughs> and um, please consider supporting the show at seriachronicles.com forward slash supporter if that's something that you feel able to do. Mina, it's been 
a joy as always. And we will be back next week as I talk happily about how my team destroyed my producer's team. <laughs> UV versus <laughs> Roma. <laughs> oh God. So if you tune in next guy next week and it's just me sounding somber guys, <laughs> and you'll know it's because those two have killed each other. <laughs> All right, gang. We will see you next week. Network. Our kids have said to us since we've moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, of the values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See why CNBC ranks Minnesota number four best state to live and work. A great place to work, an even better place to live. ExploreMinnesota.com slash live.